And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. You have uh, caught us in the middle of a, a fun little journey. We've been talking about uh, the Holy Spirit for the last couple of weeks. This is a four-week uh, message that we're talking about the Holy Spirit with. Uh, today's going to be um, a little bit more kind of teaching fatherly. So um, you can grab a Connect card in the seat back in front of you and a pen, or, or if you're taking notes, you know, get your, get your hand kind of warmed up a little bit for that. We're going to talk today uh, about spiritual gifts. And um, the reason why I say it's more of kind of a teaching, more fatherly, is because um, I'm going to give kind of some information trying to unpack um, uh, spiritual gifts. I'm going to have to kind of pick a lane, and I'm going to go down one lane, and and we're going to get into a little bit uh, later today. We're going to get into um, uh, some gifts like uh, tongues and interpretation. So we're going to have a lot of fun today. Um, But we'll talk about that if you're new. it's okay. It's all good. Um, don't take off for the doors. I promise we won't get spooky or crazy. Um, but we're going to talk about um, the Holy Spirit today. So uh, if you grab your Bibles, let's, um, let's ask the Lord's blessing over our time together. Say this out loud with, you, with me. Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you are new or um, maybe you've been here before and this is your first week in the middle of this series, um, here's what I asked uh, in week one. I asked that everybody would give me a, a blank page. And the reason why I asked for a blank page is because um, I've learned this in my journey with the Lord, that the enemy tries to pervert, right, what brings us power. Like anything in our life that God intends to bless us with, that gives us power to live the life that he's created us to live, what does the enemy do? He tries to pervert it. He tries to sow seeds of of fear and confusion so that we kind of step away and we sidestep it. And so what what we see and experience Um, over the course of our lifetime, especially when it comes to the Holy Spirit and especially when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is that we have a lot of past experiences, right? Like in this room, um, I guarantee you there are some people that when when you hear spiritual gifts, when you hear Holy Spirit, when you hear tongues and interpretation, I mean, you're getting excited. Like you've got some past experience that, that memories in your journey with God where you've been in services um, where that has happened and those have been for you, those have been positive life-giving experiences. Uh, for some of you, um, you have some experiences with the Holy Spirit, but when you think about the Holy Spirit, you think about people running around the church, right? Walking across the pews, like, like it in your mind when you think Holy Spirit, when you think spiritual gifts, when you think tongues and interpretation, you think about the rabbit hole that you went down on YouTube and all those crazy videos that you watched about Pentecostal churches. <laughs> the reality is, is that we, we all have some, some experiences, some past experiences. And so what I've asked of you is no matter if you look at the Holy Spirit, if you look at tongues and interpretation of tongues and, and the other many gifts of the Spirit, if you look at that stuff favorably, like where it excites you, still give me a blank page. Like if you look at that stuff in a negative light where it's, it's stuff that you've just been like, you know, I love God and I'm going to try to do what God's called me to do, but I'm going to kind of keep some of that stuff kind of arms, arms linked because it's gotten kind of weird in the past. Or, or maybe you've seen, here's a big one, maybe you've seen some people that have operated in the gifts of the spirit in the church. But then you see them outside of the church 
and they ain't so filled with the spirit outside of the church. And so you've struggled to reconcile that. You've struggled to be able to say, well, how can they be one person in the church and another person outside of the church if the Holy Spirit is really real, right? And if God's really wanting him to be a part of our lives. And so we have all of this kind of background. And so I've asked that, that you give me a blank page. And my promise has been uh, to you is that we're not going to get weird. We're not going to get spooky, but we are going to dig in the Bible. We are uh, not going to talk about this based off of experience, but we're going to talk about it based off of what the word of God says and to, to really show you why the person and the power of the Holy Spirit is so important in our lives as followers of Christ. And so today we're going to kind of step into week three. I'd encourage you, if you've missed any of the weeks, the last two weeks, um, make sure you check those out on Facebook or, or our YouTube channel. Um, it'll help you kind of, they're, they're kind of building blocks uh, as we move into next uh, Sunday, which you do not want to miss next Sunday. But, um, you know, about six months ago, uh, uh, we have a Yukon, kind of an older Yukon in the family, and uh, the kids drive it. And um, they started to complain to me that the, that the car wasn't um, a driving very well, that they would kind of push on the gas. And when they pushed on the gas, there would be kind of this like hesitation that would happen. And then all of a sudden it would kick in the gear and take off or, or maybe they would be driving and then they would push on the gas to kind of accelerate a little bit. And they were losing acceleration in the vehicle. And, um, and so I don't know a whole lot about, about cars. If you watched any of the devotional this week, you know, I've been having a good old time trying to put windshield wipers on three vehicles at home. Um, but, but we took it into the shop and, and here's what they told me. They said, Ryan, the issue, and I thought there was something wrong with the engine. Like I, I was so scared that I thought that we we're going to have to just kind of liquidate this vehicle and try to find something else. And, and here's what they told me, Ryan, your spark plugs are bad your spark plugs. They're old and they're not firing the way that they need to fire. Now, I don't know anything about cars, but what I've, I've learned because I Googled it this week because I knew I was talking about it is that the spark plugs, they, they create a spark with the fuel mixture within the engine that creates a um, explosion within the engine that allows for the engine to have power to be able to propel the vehicle where you want it to go. Anybody tracking? The Holy Spirit is the spiritual spark plug of our spiritual engine. Like if we, if our spark plugs are bad in our life spiritually, if we've got a lot of stuff that's just cluttering the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, or maybe we've never, never received the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then we end up living our lives like this vehicle that every time they push down on the gas, that it kind of hesitated and it sputtered, that in our lives, we struggle to have the power, right, to be able to get us out of this season and into another season because every time we step on the gas, every time we come to church, every time we open our Bible, every time we try to surround ourselves with people that will encourage us, it's like we just keep going through this cycle over and over again. It's like there's this lack of power that will, will accelerate us out of this season into the next season of our life. Friends, you and I need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, my promise to you, obviously, is that well, I'm going to lay this out what scripture says, and then you're going to have a choice next week to either receive or refuse. And that's totally up to you with no guilt from us whatsoever. 
But my job over these next four weeks is not to try to tap into emotions, to try to push some buttons. You know, any kind of preacher knows they can, they can, they can say something with a certain cadence in their voice and they get people to respond and do whatever. That's not my job this series. My job this series is to get into the word of God and to show you who the Holy Spirit is, why he's important in your life and what that looks like in the local church. And so we're going to have a little bit of fun today as we jump into that. If you got your Bibles, look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen. Uh, but I want to give you a, a definition of spiritual gifts. I think this will be helpful for you. Um, here it is. A spiritual gift is a divine empowerment, meaning it's not a power that you and I possess. It's not some like talent that we have that, 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 um, that we can use. This is a, an empowerment from, from the Holy Spirit to us that it's given to, notice that, each believer, right? Spiritual gifts are not giving, given to unbelievers. They are only given to those who have accepted Jesus Christ into their lives. That it's by the Holy Spirit. Now look at what the purpose of the spiritual gifts are. The purpose is to accomplish whose will? God's will for our life and in, in whose way? God's way. Like how many know we are really good at, at trying to do God's will our way? <laughs> We're really good at that. The spiritual gifts are an empowerment within us so that we can do God's will God's way. And so with that definition in mind, when you look at the spiritual gifts, um, most people divide um, the spiritual gifts into three categories. You've got the motivational gifts that are found in Romans chapter 12. You've got the ministry gifts that are found in Ephesians chapter 4. And then you've got the manifestation gifts that are found in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, for time's sake, and I, my plan is to do a small group um, on spiritual gifts where we dig into to all of those um, in the near future. But for today, what I want to do is I want to really dial into um, the category of gifts that seem to be the most misunderstood and create the most confusion in people's lives. I want to dig a little bit into the manifestation gifts. And so if you got your Bible, look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. And I want to set a little bit of context here. This is the Apostle Paul that is writing to the Corinthian church. He's writing to the Corinthian church to rebuke the Corinthian church. In other words, he's getting on to them. And the reason why he's getting on to this church is because they have elevated um, the gift of tongues within the body of believers to the point, now watch this, to the point that they are making every other Christian in that community that doesn't have the gift of tongues feel like a second-class Christian. And Paul's like, no. No, that's not what the spirit is for. The spirit is not that we would come into a church and we'd be like, well, I got the power and you ain't got the power. And so I'm better than you are. Like, like that is not what Paul's saying that the spiritual gifts are for. And he's like, so I need to, I need to take a moment and I need to kind of, I need to kind of lay out and talk a little bit about spiritual gifts. And then, and then what he does within chapters 12, 13, and 14 is he begins to lay some, some parameters, some, some guidelines. Like even with the gift, as it, these gifts, when they are used, these are the parameters that they are supposed to be used in. And so Paul says this to the Corinthian church. He says, now... About the gifts of the Spirit, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. And he kind of leads into that, like, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to think that you know what they're about when you really don't 
know what they're about. And, and it just makes me kind of think like, I mean, can you believe that almost 2000 years later, the same thing that Paul was calling this church out for is the same thing that we see in a lot of our churches today. This uninformed um, perspective of the Holy Spirit, where we look at it as a, a stamp of who's mature in Christ and who's not mature in Christ. And what Paul's getting at is that has nothing to do with what spiritual gifts and especially tongues are all about. And so here's, here's what he says in verse seven of chapter 12. He says, now to, to each one, and, and I find that interesting, that phrase, because, because I believe Paul really does desire that we all right? Experience not just um, spiritual gifts in our life and not just manifestation gifts in our life, but also tongues in our life. Like Paul really does genuinely want believers to have that operation in your life. But he says this, especially about the manifestation um, gifts of the spirit that they're giving for what? Common good. That they're given for the common good. They're not given to us so that we can kind of build our, our little kingdom and, and to build our platform and, and our in, uh, influence. They are given for the common good. And he says in verse 8, he says to one, and this is where he begins to kind of share what these manifestation gifts are. He says, to one, there is given uh, through the Spirit a message of wisdom to another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. I want you to notice there in verses 8, 9, and 10 that he keeps making this statement to another, to another, to another, to another. You see, what Paul's trying to explain to them is that all of these gifts, that they're not just dispersed to a special few in the church to operate in, that they are dispersed almost like a shotgun out to every believer that is in the body of Christ. There's no like, like, like JV Holy Spirit and varsity Holy Spirit where like, okay, the kids and the youth, they get the JV Holy Spirit and, you know, you guys get, you guys might be varsity Holy Spirit, but you're riding the bench and Pastor Ryan, he's varsity, but he's a starter with the Holy Spirit. Like there's none of that. Like it's the same spirit that gives all the same gifts and they're given out to the body of Christ. And in verse 11, he says, all of these are the work of the one and the same spirit. They're coming from not JV or varsity, the same Holy Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Notice there that it's not us that chooses the giftings, that it is God that chooses to gift us in certain areas. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of, I want to kind of, I'm going to do kind of a broad stroke out of seven um, of these nine manifestation gifts. And we're going to work in order of what Paul mentioned um, there. And, um, and we'll kind of see how, see how we're doing with it. But number one, the first manifestation gift that Paul mentions is the gift of wisdom. The gift of Wisdom And wisdom is a divine answer or solution for a particular event. Now, I want to be, be honest. Wisdom is a gift that God has given me. That he has blessed me and it's not, it's not me, it's not my power, it's not that I'm perfect by any means, but he has blessed me with, with uh, the ability to, to oftentimes know the right thing to do or the right thing to say in a given situation. 
Now we see the gift at work in Acts 27 when the Apostle Paul, he's a prisoner on a Roman ship and he's headed to Rome and and these people that are on board, they choose to follow their own logic instead of the advice, the wisdom that Paul gives them. And as a result, they end up finding themselves in this two-week storm so bad that they couldn't even see the sun or the stars for two weeks. Unfortunately, kind of towards the end of it, they end up following Paul's wisdom. And as a result, their lives end up being spared. Another gift, manifestation gift that we see is the gift of knowledge. The gift of knowledge is is to know something specific without learning it through natural means. Now, somebody in... in, in, um, my experience, somebody that operated in this gifting um, a lot was Pastor Terrell, who used to be the pastor here at Evangel. That Pastor Terrell oftentimes in a service would have a moment where, where the Lord deposited within him information about somebody that he would not know normally. Like, and if you've been around for a while, you may remember, like he would, he would say something like, there's somebody here that's got ringing in their right ear, right? You may remember that. And, and the Lord wants to heal you today, but not only does the Lord want to heal you today, but the ringing is there because he's been trying to get your attention for years and you keep running away from him. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that is a word of knowledge. And we see a great example of that with Jesus in John chapter four. Jesus, um, in John chapter four, comes with, um, um, meets up with the woman at the well. And, um, and Jesus, she tells Jesus that, that she's not married. And Jesus looked at her and said, well, you're right when you say that, that you got no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Like Jesus had this, this word of knowledge in that moment to recognize where this woman was with her walk with the Lord that, and you have to understand for Jesus, you might think, well, that's Jesus. Like he would know. Well, when Jesus came, he set aside his divinity, right? To be able to, to walk and to minister on earth, to be able to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins. And so in this moment, this was an empowerment of the Holy Spirit through Jesus to have a word of knowledge for this woman. Number three manifestation gifts is the the gift of faith. And the gift of faith is a supernatural belief and confidence in the power and the promises of God for a specific situation. A supernatural belief and confidence in the power and the promises of God for a specific situation. Let me say it like this. When you're going through an incredibly difficult season of your life and the only options or solutions you see aren't good ones. Like how many of you would, would be okay with God depositing a supernatural belief and confidence in you to know that despite what you see and despite what you hear and despite what you feel, that there is confidence in God that God's got it and I can trust him. That is a gift of faith. We see it in Romans eight twenty eight. And, and we know, like it's this resolve within our heart that we know that no matter what I'm facing, like, like even though I might be walking through something with my kids, they're strung out on drugs or walking through a divorce or losing the house or something with my career that I know that I've got this resolve deep down inside of me that all things, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been a called according to his purpose. Number four, the gift of healing. The gift of healing. And that's the ability to restore others physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And this is a gift that it's not a gift about the person. It's not a power that the person possesses, 
right? I've seen some people like as God um, and the Holy Spirit works through them with gifts of healing, then all of a sudden everybody's like following that person around everywhere. Like, just touch me, just touch me, just touch me. It's not a power within the individual. It is the Holy Spirit working through an individual at whatever appointed time that God desires, right? At ever, whatever appointed time that God desires to, to bring healing to somebody. We see the gift of healing in the Bible with, with Philip when he preached in Samaria in Acts 8. And many at that point when he was preaching that were paralyzed and lame, that, that they were healed. Like I think about the, the, the gift of healing and, and, and some people believe that that doesn't exist, that it doesn't happen today anymore. But you would have a hard time uh, convincing my family of that because when our daughter Jordan was 10 days old, she got diagnosed with spinal meningitis and the doctor didn't think she would make it. And we decided that we were gonna call on the deacons of the church and we were gonna lay hands And God decided that he wanted to change the course of her life. And we laid hands on her and prayed. And all of a sudden, you could see the the color coming back into her. All of a sudden, she started to receive food again. All of a sudden, um, the fever began to break. And now, several Sundays a month, you'll see her up here on the worship team singing. You'll see her back in the kids' area leading those little kids in a time of worship because she recognizes and knows that God is a healer. And it's not something that quit years and years ago, but it is a work that he is still continuing to do in our midst. We see the gift of miracles. The gift of miracles are supernatural events that that occur outside of the bounds of of what would be natural. And the difference between healing and miracles is healings are connected to people, right? I'm I'm gonna pray for a sickness within an individual. Miracles are kind of like Jesus when he turned water into wine. They're, they're kind of when he fed the 4,000 and the 5,000, when he took um, um, fish and loaves and multiplied it. Those are miracles. Healings are related to individuals and people. And then we see um, prophecy mentioned. And this, is a, this was a, a, a big one, a message of encouragement and underline that word, encouragement from God through a person to others, right? From God, through a person to others. And I want you to notice here that, that they are messages of encouragement, that they're not messages to, to bring discouragement, to correct, to rebuke, or to judge. These are words of encouragement. And Paul even interesting Lee enough, lay some guidelines out in scripture um, for prophecy. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, but one who prophesies, what are they doing? They're strengthening others, they're encouraging them, and they're comforting them. Notice here that, that prophecy from Paul's perspective is, is less about, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I'm saying it's less about being out there predicting like what's gonna happen in our world six months from now or 12 months from now or whatever. It's less about that. I'm not saying it's not that. I'm saying it's less about that. And it's more about revealing God's heart to his people in a way that encourages them and builds them up in their journey and relationship with God. Number seven that Paul mentions is the discernment of spirits, the discernment of spirits. And this means the ability to discern the difference between what is godly and what is ungodly. To be able to discern the difference between what is godly and what is ungodly. Notice here that neither Paul nor I um, mention the gift of discernment, right? It's not the gift of discernment, it's the discernment of 
spirits. There is no such thing as the gift of discernment. Now, I know that, that and I've even fallen into that just kind of um, ritualistic repetition of using the gift of discernment because I've, I've from um, beginning time of following the Lord, that's what I would hear. And so then I just kind of repeated, um, but there is no gift of discernment. The gift is a discernment of spirits. Now, there is in the local church a gift of criticism, <laughs> Right, I mean, I, I've seen more people in the church say they have a gift of discernment. It's really more of a gift of uh, <laughs> gift of criticism. But but notice that notice this that the discernment that's happening it's not towards other people. It's not towards other people, right? Typically, when you hear somebody say, "I have the gift of discernment," and and then they start like like talking about people and, and like saying things about them and kind of, I mean, they don't ever tell them face to face because I mean, that would be too Christ-like to do, right? Um, but they'll tell like other people like about those people and, they, and then they couch it with, I have, well, I have this gift of, of discernment. But when you look at scripture, again, right, this conversation about the Holy Spirit is not about um, what my grandmother or great-grandmother taught me. It's not about what I've experienced, right? It's about what the word of God says. When you look at what the word of God says, it says in Ephesians six twelve that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Wait a second. Like you mean that person that like did me wrong? The person that said all that stuff about me behind my back and, and destroyed some relationships like... Like he's saying, Paul's saying, our battle is not with that person. And that's why, that's why Jesus is so adamant about forgiveness because it's helping us understand that, that really the war is with, with the spirits. Really the war is, it says, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Like the battle is up there. And so Jesus commands us that when these people hurt us and do us wrong, it's not us attacking them and trying to get back to them. It is us recognizing that the battle is up here. And so we're going to extend forgiveness and we're going to love and we're going to be gracious to those that even hurt us because we recognize that I'm going after the real one. Like I'm going after the real enemy. I'm not looking at all of these people that do me wrong as the enemy. And so the discerning of spirits, this gift, it's not a gift that, that like puts other people down, that looks down on them for whatever reason. It's a gift that allows us to see what we are really fighting against. I don't know about you, but I've kind of learned that it's hard to fight an enemy you can't see. It's hard to fight an enemy that you can't see. And I think that's why it's so important in these last days, which I believe these are the last of the last days, that how valuable this gift of discerning of spirits is in our lives in the body of Christ, because even scripture warns us of the last days tells us that there's going to be false teachers that are doing all these miraculous signs and wonders, right? What do we typically do? When we see signs and wonders, what do we do? Like our natural instinct is what? Is to look at them as a mature believer, right? Somebody that we aspire to be like, right? Like I, I know it's heavy, I know, but we're getting, we're getting Bible here. Our natural tendency is to look up and to elevate and to follow. And the Bible tells us in the last days in Matthew 24, 24, that, that there's going to be many false teachers that are doing all of these amazing things, right? And they're going to lead people astray, lead people from their relationship with God. This week in our devotional, I even mentioned um, the part where, where, where it says um, that in the last, um, that many, right, that many will, the Bible says, many will prophesy, 
Many will cast out demons. Many will perform miracles and do all these signs of wonders. And then they're going to get to heaven and God's going to look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Like there's an element of we can do a lot of things for God. We can even do some spectacular things for God. But if our heart is not where it needs to be, and we're not connected to the vine in our relationship with God, then we could run the risk of whenever God takes us home, hearing God the Father say, man, you served every Sunday, right? You, you were helping the babies in the nursery. You sang on the worship team. You preached every Sunday. But depart from me, because I never knew you. Like you were going through the motions, you were doing the stuff, but you and I never had a relationship. The Bible warns us in the last days, warns us that, that believers are going to be attracted to, to pastors and churches that make them feel good, right? Like Timothy says, it's going to tickle their ears. That's what Timothy says. It says that there's going to be this, this massive falling away of, of the faith and the reason why Timothy says this massive falling away of the faith, and tell me if this doesn't sound like today or what, is because people are going to twist and manipulate scripture so that it fits their agenda and the way they want to live their life. And what happens is, is people begin to get gra gravitate towards that because nobody wants conviction, Right? <laughs> And so we're going to be in a, in, a, in a day and age, the Bible warns, where, where people are, are like, you know, you got all these choices of, of churches and places to go. And man, I don't want to go there because, man, they stepped on my toes the last time I was there. But every time I go here, like it's all about, you know, what I can be and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and there's never really like, I never really feel challenged to have to take this massive step of faith. And I don't ever feel like convicted. Like there's some things in my life I got to get, get done with and, and get away with. I can still like, I can still have, have my, um, my friends with benefits, right? I can still have like all the stuff that, that I want to do, that I love, that I enjoy and still kind of go to church and, and have some community there. And, and, and the Bible's like, the Bible's like, you got to recognize that in the last days, there's going to be this massive exodus and that there's going to be a lot of people that stand before God the Father in heaven and he looks at them and he's like, I didn't know you. Even the ones that are operating in the gifts. <laughs> I mean, there are manifestation gifts that the Bible's talking about in that that God says to people when he says, depart from me, I never knew you. We need the gift of discerning of spirits not just in our own life, but we need that gift in the body of Christ. For in conviction of the Holy Spirit is a good thing. It should be something that you pray and ask for and invite the Holy Spirit to do in your life because what I've learned about the conviction of the Holy Spirit is it's never to beat me over the head, but it's to invite me into a greater, more dynamic, more powerful, more intimate relationship with God. Oh, gosh, I got to get going. Sorry, guys. All right, here we go. Everybody buckle your seatbelts. We're at the final two. The final two. So let's talk a little bit about tongues and interpretation. And um, here's what I've learned. We flee from the things that we fear. And so the enemy has been hard at work, working overtime to try to sow seeds of doubt and confusion and fear so that when it relates to these gifts... There is a hesitancy to lean in or to receive out of fear in what we've experienced and seen. And so let's kind of peel back the curtain a little bit and let's look at what scripture has to say about it. Tongues. Tongues is a message from God through a person in a language that's unknown to that person. Now there is a difference between the gift of tongues and the grace of tongues. 
right? The gift of tongues, and for those of you that have been, been a Christ follower for a while, there's the gift of tongues, and then the grace of tongues is what oftentimes you hear said, the, uh, a heavenly prayer language, right? The, they sound the same, all right? Like uh, they sound the same when you hear um, that language, the tongues coming out of an, an individual, but what sets them apart is who they're directed to. So look at this, a prayer language, a prayer language is given to every believer, whether they use it or not. Like if you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, that prayer language, God has blessed you with. Now, maybe you use it and maybe you don't, but it is a a heavenly prayer language that is spoken to God. Okay, it's between you and God. Doesn't need any kind of interpretation, because it is you and God. And the purpose of that prayer language is to benefit ourselves. It's to strengthen us. Paul Paul talks about it in Romans 8, 26. He says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our what? In our weakness. Like there's gonna be some times that we, we're kind of struggling, that we're weak, that our faith is weak. And he, he says this, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And then we see this, this gift in the manifestation gifts, the gift of tongues. And the difference of that is that these are given to some believers, Right, you remember that earlier, it's for some, for others, for others, for others. It is a gift that is given to some believers, not all. And it's spoken to others, meaning that it is um, received from God through the individual, spoken to others. Therefore, it needs an interpretation, right? The benefit of this gift of tongues within the corporate body of Christ, it's not to bless the individual that is giving it, it's to bless those that are hearing it. Now watch this, although Paul sets this this high value, he places a high value on the gift of tongues, he also recognizes how dangerous this gift can be when it's not operating within some guidelines. And so here's the guidelines in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 27 through 28. In verse 27, it says, no more than two or three should speak in tongues, that they must speak one at a time and someone must interpret what they say. Verse 28, but if no one is present who can interpret... Whoa, wait, wait a second, Paul. Wait a minute. You are quenching the Holy Spirit in this house, my friend. What do you mean if no one is present who can interpret? They must be silent in a church meeting. They must be silent in a church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Woo! If you do have a religious bone in your body, it is like, it's going off right now. This is not, we're not talking past experience. We're not talking what grandma taught us. We're talking, let's look and see what the word of God said. That was my promise to you, right? That's my promise to you. Let's look at what scripture says. And that's why I asked for a blank page. Now, I speak in tongues. I speak in tongues quite a bit. This morning during the worship time, I spoke in tongues. This morning behind stage when Pastor Mike was leading us in prayer, I spoke in tongues. But there's a reason why when I come up here that I don't walk around everywhere speaking in tongues. I speak in tongues a lot. (laughs) 
in a lot of different environments and places, but there is a reason why I'm not up here speaking in tongues. And the reason why is because we, we govern ourselves, right? We govern ourselves according to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Stick with me. Don't, don't allow offense. Don't allow like all that stuff to start boiling inside of you. Just stick with me. Let's, let's look at scripture, right? Blank page. Look what he says in verse 23 and 24. He says, even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church service and they hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you lost your loving mind. I don't know about you, but I've never seen anybody attracted to crazy. Like we, we resist, we walk, we step aside. Like you go be your crazy over there and I'm going to kind of stay over here. Like we're not attracted to crazy. And so what Paul's trying to tell this Corinthian church that has elevated this gift of tongues and made everybody else feel like second class Christians because they're not operating in it. He's like, it's big. You got to have a bigger vision, a bigger perspective than just a gift. And I think that, to be honest, I think that's probably the biggest mistake that Pentecostals have made through the years is that they have elevated and, and given a priority to gifts above the priority of reaching lost people. And if you want to now, you may, you may push back on that, and that's okay. I have no problem with disagreements and stuff. But what I would draw your attention to is you go look at the generations, the last two or three generations, and you tell me, are we seeing more people come to Christ or less people come to Christ? Are we seeing more people come to the church or are we seeing less people come to the church? To me, when you see a consistent pattern of less people coming to the church, then there's something that we're not doing right. There's something that we're not doing right. And Paul's like, Paul's like, listen, if you've got in a church service, if you've got people in that church service that are unbelievers and you've got people that just don't quite understand what all of this is about and you start going around doing all of the tongues and stuff in that, they are going to think you are crazy. verse 24 it says but if if all of you are prophesying you remember prophecy the in verse 3 it says it strengthens it encourages and it comforts he says if you're prophesying in unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church service what's going to happen to them they're going to be convicted of the sin that's in their life and judged by what you say, judged in a positive way. Here's, here's a better, uh, I like how it paraphrases it in the message translation, that if you, um, or it's not really translation, it's paraphrase, but if you come together as a congregation and some unbelieving outsiders walk in on you as you're all praying in tongues, unintelligible to each other and to them, won't they assume that you've taken leave of your senses, like your senses have gone on vacation. Like, like <laughs> and won't they get out of there as fast as they can? But if some unbelieving outsiders walk in on a service where people are speaking out God's truth, right? The plain words will bring them up against the truth and it will begin to probe their hearts before you know it, they're going to be on their faces before God, recognizing that God is among them. <laughs> Friend, I get, I get accused from time to time of not allowing the Holy Spirit to, to move in, in services 
We, Andrew and I had, we had to deal with that a lot in, in Washington um, because when we inherited the church, there was, there was this, this group of like religious people and they just wanted to like, I mean, all through the service, they just wanted to like scream out loud and, and, and do stuff. And we felt, we felt the Holy Spirit told us that there was supposed to be a season where that was silenced so that the church, the heart of the church could turn back to the father, not to the gift. And so we do get accused from time to time to not, that we don't allow the spirit to move and, and, and we don't allow the spirit to move. And it's always because we don't let somebody do whatever they want to do in the service. That's always the reason, right? Like it's always the reason, like you can go worship and be more demonstrative kind of off to the side, but you can't like you can't like come like all up in the front and be distracting to where everybody's looking at you rather than worshiping the Lord. There's always this like, you're quenching the spirit if you don't let the individual do whatever it is that they want to do. And the reason why we don't is because in a room this size with this many people, there are people that are unbelievers and there are people that don't quite understand what all that stuff is about. And so we take the approach that the apostle Paul took. So you got a problem with the approach, like give it, you know, go after the guy that wrote two thirds of the new Testament. Like, like, <laughs> like it's all day. We ain't going on experience, right? We're looking at the word. What does the word have to say? And here's, <laughs> here's what Paul said in first Corinthians. Woo. Here's what Paul said in first Corinthians 14, 18 through 19. He says, I thank God Now watch this. I think this is crazy awesome. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Like he's like, I got the gift, like, and I love to use it. And I, I, you know, I, I, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. But he says this in verse 19, but in a church service, but in a church service, this is Paul, two thirds of the New Testament. I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Paul, like, don't be looking at me that way. That's Paul. Listen, our small group semester is starting up here in the next few weeks. We've got our group expo starts next Sunday and then runs the following Sunday. And and, uh, you drop into any any of those small groups, and at some point during the semester, you're bound to have an experience in a moment where, where there is um, uh, the gift of tongues that, that is happening and, and, and within that corporate uh, body, whether it's when, when a couple people are praying together or whether it's, it's the whole group. Like um, if you drop into my man Alex Taylor's men's prayer group on Thursday morning, you're bound to hear some, some tongues and maybe even some interpretation. Like if you were to, to drop into of our backstage prayer before service, like you're bound to probably hear some of that. If you were to roll in here at 1.15 every Tuesday afternoon to our staff prayer time when we're praying and kind of going all through the, the auditorium and praying over all of your needs that you fill out on the, on the connect cards, like you're, you're bound to hear some tongues and maybe even some interpretation of tongues, but in a church service like this, where there are unbelievers and there are people that don't quite understand that are present, scripture instructs us. And we hold on to Paul's biblical model where we're going to focus on words that people can understand, right? So they don't take off running thinking we're crazy and their lives are never transformed. You see, I think what Paul's trying to get at here is that it's small groups is different because there's, there's a limited amount of people there and we have an understanding of who everybody is and there's, there's relationship there, relational equity and, and trust and all that type stuff. But when you get into a large room like this where people can walk in off the road that have an agenda 
Like I've had that happen several times where people, they had never been in this church and they walk in here and they start screaming from the top of their lungs, like all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, like I remember in Washington, we had a guy that was so far from God. I'm sorry. I just, I feel like I need to share the story. I know it's long. Um, was so far from God, like drugs and hooked to all that kind of stuff. And we had this lady in the church that, I mean, she would go bonkers in the worship service. And his first Sunday, he had not been in church in probably 15, 20 years, wanted nothing to do with God, was a drug addict, was an alcoholic, skinny as a rail from all the stuff that he has done. And he finally, he was one of our staff members' brothers, he finally walked through the doors of the church, finally in the service. And what do you think the enemy did? His seat was right behind that lady. And she started doing her thing again. And before we could get ushers over there to to put a hand on the shoulder and and to ask her, hey, keep that within private, right? Within your own, you and God, keep that um, private. It doesn't mean it can't be out loud, but even when I speak in tongues over here, it's a whisper that, that as I'm praying privately, and before we could even do that, he left, and he didn't come back for like nine months. We got lucky because there was a relationship. His sister was on staff, and he gave us another try. And I'll tell you what, right now, he showed up at our door one afternoon, unexpected, knocking on the door with tears in his eyes. And he's like, I've got to talk to you guys. I've got to talk to you guys. And we let him into the house and he just started crying. And he just said, man, God got a hold of me last night at my house. And, and, and I asked the Lord into my life and I don't want to deal with drugs anymore. I don't want to deal with that life anymore. Like I want all that God has for me. And it radically changed his life and now he's following God now he's leading other people to Christ you know what if we would have just allowed as Paul said don't allow people to just go crazy all over the place because they're going to think you're crazy and they're going to leave his life would have never been transformed never because we would have been too crazy and he'd been I don't want anything to do with that now he'll get into a small group and now he's got no problem when, when tongues or interpretation happens because he's in a different place, right? Deacons, do I still have a job? I still, am I still okay? <laughs> All right, last, I gotta go, I'm sorry. I know this is long. I'll make up for it next week. Um, number nine, interpretation of tongues means to understand and express the thought or the intent of a message that's in tongues, okay? Notice two words here, thought and intent. Now, these two words are important because it's an interpretation, not a translation, okay? There's a difference. A translation is word for word, and interpretation takes kind of the big picture and it summarizes it. And that's why... um, That's why when you hear a message in tongues that is long, right, and then you hear an interpretation of that tongue that is short, or maybe it's the other way around where um, the message is short, but the interpretation is long, it's because it's not a translation, it's an interpretation. And we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 5, Paul says that, he says, I wish that you could all speak in tongues. Again, like I love, I love that. Like, and that's really the position of our church. Like the wish is that we could all speak in tongues. But he says, but even, even more than that, like even more than that, I wish that you could prophesy In other words, that you would speak words that would strengthen and encourage and bring comfort to people. And he says, the reason why is because prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues. Unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church can be strengthened. I love that because he's putting a value on tongues, but the goal is not tongues, 
the goal is reaching lost people and strengthening the church. I want to close with a couple verses to help kind of put all of this into, um, into context. At the end of chapter 12, Paul says this in verse 31. He says, so you should, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Like there is, there is, the Bible says that we can pray for gifts. Like there may be gifts that the Holy Spirit deposits inside of us that we naturally operate in, but there's also some gifts that we can pray and ask the Holy Spirit to deposit in us. And Paul's like, you need to earnestly like desire, like, like this should be something in your life that you're going after, right? And he says this, he says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. He's saying all these gifts, they're great. By all means, seek after them, pursue them, lean into them. Because the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it's, it helps us, it enables us to live a life that's on mission, reaching a lost world and strengthening one another. But check this out. In verses 13, or chapter 13, one through three, he says, if I could, if I could speak all the languages, the tongues of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others. If I got the gift, but I ain't got the love to go with the gift. He's like, I'm only gonna be a noisy gong and a clanging symbol. If you got kids, you know we bought Jeremiah a drum set when he was a kid, worst decision we ever made in our life. Oh my gosh, that kid banged on that thing like to no end. <laughs> Verse two, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, if I had that kind of faith but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything that I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it like, like yeah, I'd do that. Right? I could even look down on other people because they don't do it the way that I, I do it. Like I could boast about it, but he says, but if I didn't love others, that I'm, everything that I do, that I've gained nothing. You know what Paul's trying to say to this Corinthian church and to us today? He's trying to say like pursue the gifts you need them in your life, but never make other people feel less than because they don't have what you've got. He writes later in this chapter, there's going to be one day that there's going to be a day when you and I come face to face with Jesus and all of these gifts are no longer necessary but until then, Paul says, you got to know this, that in verse 13, that three things, three things are going to last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of those is love. Can I ask you a legitimate question? How many of you want to be a part of a church and want to raise your family in a church that is fully aligned with God's heart. Yeah, let me see your hands. How many of you want to, to be at a church and to align your family in a church? I mean, look at those hands, all of us. If we're going to do that, if we're going to be that, it's not because of gifts which Paul says pursue, it's going to be because we love well. We've got to resolve in our heart, friends, that faith, hope, and love, that they're the main course, that the gifts are the seasoning. I'm a food junkie 
and I love food and it tastes amazing when it's got the right seasonings to it, right? Like there's one thing about just black beans in, out of a can, but there's a whole nother thing about putting that, that orange packet of seasoning in that black beans that my Puerto Rican friend Gus introduced me with 25 years ago that takes it to a whole nother level. Like, like there, is, there is an importance in the gifts, but it's a seasoning. It's not the main course. The main course is that we be a church of faith, hope, and love. I want to leave you with this last verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Paul says this to this Corinthian church, and I believe he says it to us today. Let love be your highest goal. Let love be your highest goal. Would you bow your head with me today? Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. And Lord, I just, I thank you, God, for even though this was, was long and just a lot of information, Lord, I thank you, God, that, Lord, we have a church that is hungry for your word and hungry for your spirit and hungry for the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. But Father, you have a church before you that wants to do it God's will, God's way. And so, Lord, I pray that, God, you would use today's message, Lord. Lord, may it stir our heart this week. Lord, may it challenge us to dig even further into Scripture. Lord, may it convict us in areas of our life where we've recognized that maybe we followed after experience more so than Bible. And, Lord, I pray, God, that you would prepare our hearts, that, Lord, as we begin to step into a week leading to next Sunday, Lord, where we will present your people with an opportunity to receive or resist. Lord, I pray that this week, Lord, you would begin to speak to them. Lord, reveal to them where they are. Lord, reveal to them your, your vision, your purpose, your plan for their lives. And Lord, I come against the enemy that would try to sow seeds of confusion and doubt and fear to cause us to flee from God what you have designed to bring power to our lives so that we could live the life you've called us to live and so that we could strengthen one another in Christ. For it's in your precious name we pray, amen. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.